Welcome to Pub Natter, where we record each episode in a different pub in Rutland, the smallest county in England. In each episode, your hosts, Tim and Justin, give a voice to the landlords and landladies and a special guest with a specific area of interest or expertise. We hope you enjoy our chats and it encourages you to go and explore our little county and all it has to offer. Like the motto says, there is much in little. We recently visited the Olive Branch in Clipsham, Rutland to natter with two amazing people. Our first guest in this episode is Ben Jones, the co-owner. We discuss how he took the Olive Branch from a dilapidated building and turned it into only the second pub in UK to receive a Michelin star. Recorded on the same day and released next week is a discussion with Alicia Kearns, Member of Parliament for Melton and Rutland. We start with a little bit of Clipsham history from Justin. So, we're here in Clipsham, which is a small village in Rutland, um, on the wrong side of the A1, but it is nonetheless in Rutland. Uh, compared to Whitwell, where we were a couple of weeks ago, it's a throbbing metropolis, because it's got about 160 people. Um, it's famous for its stone. Clipsham stone is quite famous. It was used in Canterbury Cathedral, the Houses of Parliament, York Minster, and Trinity and King's College in Cambridge, and of course the Olive Branch that we're sitting in. The uh, stone was also used for Clipsham Hall, which was built around 1700, is the seat of the Lord of the Manor. Uh, the Lord of the Manor died in 2014, and as far as we know, the hall is now in private hands. There's a church in the village, which dates back as far as the 12th century. Um, it was modified after that, but it's essentially the same size and shape now as it was in the 14th century. Uh, so that's about 100 years before Columbus started wandering around. One of the bells in the church was produced by Toby Norris in the foundry in Stamford, which has become the pub in Stamford that now bears his name. Uh, the other famous thing that Clipsham has going for it is Yew Tree Avenue. Uh, leading up to the hall, there are 150 shaped yew trees in two rows either side of the walking path, which used to be the carriage road into the hall. Uh, I wouldn't put it up there with the pyramids or the Great Barrier Reef, but if uh, mass topiary is the sort of thing that makes the toggles of your anorak twitch, then I think it's well worth a visit. <laughs> when rain stops play, it's time for some pub natter. So we're in the Olive Branch in Clipsham in Rutland. Um, Justin, my co-presenter, is on my left, and we have Ben Jones, the co-owner of the Olive Branch, as our guest. Um, we'll be asking him lots of questions. Yes, yeah, I'm ready. Um, do you know, first of all, I, I, I never realised Clipsham was in Rutland. I always had it in my head that the moment you got to the A1, Rutland ended because we're such a small county anyway. Yeah, exactly. I've lived I lived in Oakham for 20 years, and I think the first time we came, I came to Clipsham, was to look at buying the olive branch 25 years ago. So yeah, I was the same. It's kind of that thing when you live on one side of the A1, you never go to the other. You maybe go to Stamford. But yeah, yeah I, I don't think I have. But yeah, the the border's about a mile from here, in between here and Castle Bytham. And it's quite interesting. If it snows, you can see where the border is because the snow, the Rutland snowplows stop 
halfway to turn around and come back again. They don't even go to the junction in Castle Bytham. They stop halfway and then turn around and come back again. Well, I've been in Oakham for 27 years, and this is the first time I've ever been to Clipsham. Yeah, really? Yeah, I know. It's and I've been a member at Greetham Golf Club, which is oh, really? yeah, two miles just, away. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, no, it's very interesting. Yeah, not, not a lot. And until, we, and until we came here and opened up the Olive Branch, yeah, a lot of people didn't know where Clipsham is now. But it's quite interesting. I had a lady who came to see me this morning who said she has she lives in Milan and she spoke to some friends and said she was coming here and her friends in Milan had heard of the olive branch in Clipsham. Wow. Quite incredible. Wow. <laughs> well, I've been here several times. Yeah. It, it, I have to say it is a great restaurant. Thank you. Uh, Multi-award winning restaurant. Yeah, we've done very well. Um, and you've got some nice beer as well. I know, it's this, very good beer, isn't it? Well, yeah. that's the Round Corner, which is from which is from Melton Mowbray. They make some incredible beers in the... In the um, uh, in the market in Melton Mowbray, um, Round Corner Brewery, they do some brilliant new craft beers. And then, of course, we've got Grain Store um, in Oakham, which we have there sure. cooking. And we call it we call it Olive Ale. And we've served that. That's been on the bar since we opened 20, 25 years ago. Oh, you've so, rebranded. Yeah, yeah we call it. Well, we yes, we've we call it Olive. We call it Olive Ale. So we used to call, when we first came here. We used to call it Olive Oil. <laughs> and then somebody from Trade Description said we couldn't call it olive oil because it's not olive oil, quite clearly. As if anybody's really going to get confused. Exactly. When they say pint of olive oil, yeah, please. And they're disappointed because they don't get a pint of olive oil; they get beer. So yes, so we rebranded it to olive ale. So it works just as well. But the lo a lot of the locals still call it olive oil, which is quite nice. Cool. So, so let, let's talk about the story. Um, so, you, are you from um, this area originally? Yes, yes. I was at school in Oakham. Oh, right. So, what I school was, did you go to? So, I went to Oakham School. Um, I was kind of brought up mostly in Gretton, Northamptonshire. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Oakham when I was 16. Um, I then went to Southfield College. Um, got on the train every morning from Oakham Station and went into Leicester to Southfields College mm -hmm. and did a what was in those days called an ordinary national diploma in <laughs> hospitality management. So yeah, yeah um, I did I did that for two years and then I worked at Hamilton Hall and kind of almost did an apprenticeship there. Oh right. So I worked there for two two and a half years. What what were you <clears throat> What was your role there? So there I was a, I was a waiter front of house. So I, originally I wanted originally. I was really interested in being a chef. I used to cook at home. I really enjoyed cooking um, with my father and for my father and that sort of stuff. So I really enjoyed cooking. So I went to college because I thought it would be a good idea to learn about management. And then I went, I got the opportunity to do a two-week work placement at Hambleton Hall. And I thought it would be great that I should maybe work in the restaurant and see what it's like to be a waiter. If I was going to be in the kitchen, then I should learn to be, see what it would be like to be a waiter. So I worked, did a two-week placement there. And then Graham, who's still the restaurant manager at Hambleton, who was the restaurant manager when I was there, um, offered me a part-time job. So I used to cycle up the hill from Oakham into Hambleton on a Friday night. <laughs> I was allowed to serve the bread, and that was about it. <laughs> so then, I, so then, then after that, I've um, yeah, when I finished the part-time, finished college, they offered me a full-time job. Um, so I kind of did a, almost like a little not a management trainee scheme but i kind of w worked in all the mm -hmm. in all the front of house departments worked my way up to head waiter head barman well wow. um and then suggested to mr hart that it'd be really nice if i could go to france and he found me a place to work in france so i went mm. to work in a a country house hotel um in a little village called barbizon which is very famous for paint the painters just south of paris and i worked there for two years in a um 
yeah, at a very nice country house hotel, learned lots of amazing um, service skills, and then came back and um, after two years and came back and worked at another country house hotel called Gravetime Manor. Can, can I just stop you there? <coughs> what did you learn in France that you couldn't have learned in England? Well, French for a start, yeah. which, which, I try, which I tried to learn at school for about five years. Had to be but it was English. Yeah, exactly. It was, well, it was exactly it was exactly that. Yeah, I spent I spent six months being spoken to in French, and nobody would. I thought nobody here speaks English. This is absolutely horrendous. After six months, I just about I was managing to converse in French to them, and all of a sudden, they all turned around to me and they could all speak English. Funny it was incredible. But I, but it was, but I learned incredibly quickly. Within six months, I could... When you need yeah, to. Yeah, when you need to. And when you're being spoken to continuously in French, where if they, if they had spoken to me in English, it would have taken me a lot longer. Yeah. But, yeah, what, well, what they taught me there was it was a very traditional um, restaurant. So they taught me a lot of... So they did a lot of work at the table, so carving at the table. So we used to do um, carved duck at the table, mm -hmm. carved pheasant... Um, carve uh, rib of beef at the table, fillet fish at the table. So I learned to fillet Dover sole at the that, table. That is very, very difficult, of, isn't it? Yeah, all those brilliant skills, which you, we used to wheel a trolley up. Yeah. And then you used to have to serve all these. We'd present them on big silver salvers, and we had to take the Dover sole off the silver salver and take the fillets off and take the bone out, all done with a spoon and fork, and then presented to the customer. And quickly enough to exactly, so it's still hot exactly, when they get to eat exactly. it. Exactly, the real skill was doing it quickly enough that it was still that it was still hot, and then pour the sauce over, and then um, decanting bottles of wine at the table and all that sort of stuff. So all those sorts of skills which we wouldn't, which you re really wouldn't have in an in a in English or British restaurant, apart from some of the old style French ones in London. So yeah, it learnt me an awful lot. Okay. For the uninitiated, clearly you don't learn that. The first time by walking up to table with somebody's dinner. No. <laughs> how, how do they? How do you learn? No, well, because it yeah, must well, be expensive the, to practice. Yeah, there's no. I don't know. There wasn't any practice involved. I think you you watch, and then so and then they were, they. To be fair, they were very good at kind of guide talking you through it in front of the table, or more or, or often than not, what might happen is if they had a table of six, and the table of six had ordered two or three dishes to be carved at the table, then the main waiter would do two, and then the the head waiter might stand next to me whilst I did another, kind of maybe slightly in the background, so it wasn't so it wasn't being seen. So that worked well because if there were three or four of you, then the focus might be on two of the others, and somebody mm. else might be at the back. So, and just lots of guidance and explaining things to me. So um, yeah, they were. To be fair, they were. They taught me a great deal, and they and I made some great friends out there. Um, yeah, and I had an amazing time. So no university. No, no university. So a good example of the. Proof that that isn't the only way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, although it's becoming increasingly difficult, I think, isn't it now? Unfortunately, apprenticeships mm. and things aren't quite the same. But yeah, yeah, the University of Life, I suppose. Yeah, I learned a great deal going, to, particularly going to France. Um, yeah, it's an amazing experience. And then you came back to UK. Then I came back to the UK and went to another country house hotel in in near Gatwick in Sussex called Gravetime Manor near East Grinstead and worked there and was the restaurant manager there for two years. Uh, and then I went to a place called Nunsmere, which is in Cheshire, for a very short period. That didn't work out, unfortunately. And then um, I came back to Hambleton Hall as restaurant manager again. Well, not again, but as restaurant manager, came back to Hambleton Hall, um, which was great, which was when Aaron, who's the current head chef, had just started his tenure as head chef. Um, so that was really exciting. And then Mr. Hart decided he wanted to open a brasserie in Nottingham, 
and he opened a brasserie in Nottingham called Hearts, and I went there as the as the opening general manager. So famous. I, so yeah, we did very well there. So I helped set set that up. I spent a year or six months getting that ready. Then did the opening of that, and then worked there for two years. Um, and having kind of done the the Hambleton Hall where it was suits and dinner jackets, and then Hearts, which was more casual suits but still a suit. I quite enjoyed, and it became more and more informal. I thought, well, the next step of this, I enjoyed the informality of it and the spending more time talking to the customers, and I thought the next stage might be um, a pub. So, yeah, we decided, myself, Sean and Marcus, um, decided it would be quite interesting to have a pub and do great food and great wine and great beer in a really, really informal atmosphere. Um, but this place, and that's presumably when you came here. Yeah, yeah. But this place wasn't a pub then, was it? It was a. Well, it, no, was a it, it, had, it, it had been. It was a. It had been closed for three years. Right. Okay. So it was a pub, but then it had been closed, and they had tried selling it. They had tried to, um, yeah, to de-license it to sell it as a private property, but it got refused once, and was about to go through again when we came along and, um, yeah, and put an offer in and, and bought it. What so sort of state was it in? Yeah, it was not in a great state. Yeah, there's some, we've got a little, we've got a book somewhere, mate. But yeah, it wasn't in a great state. Um, so we spent. So the, the, there's a floor in what we call the pine room, which has pine tables in it. It was a quarry tile floor that was covered in carpet. We decided we pulled up the carpet and thought it'd be a great idea to expose expose the quarry tiles. And I had lots of friends who came to help us, and my friends still tell the same story of how they came and helped us scrub the glue off this quarry tile floor. <laughs> and we used everything you could imagine. Probably the chemicals that we used 25 years ago, you probably wouldn't be allowed to use anymore. <laughs> but everything from, we were trying, someone said it'd be a good idea to try petrol, so we were trying petrol and to burn <laughs> this glue off and all sorts of... So yeah, it was in quite a state, but we managed to turn it all around with the help of um, friends, family, Villagers came and helped, and we managed to turn it all around in six weeks. We bought it in November 99 and opened it in the middle of December with a Christmas party for the village. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we did quite a bit, and we had help from some local builders, electricians, and everybody came and digged in and um, helped us out. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a very good time, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a hell of a, a leap. You know, yeah. you've got a steady job, decent income, yeah. and you... You take a deep breath and yeah. you go and do something like this. I mean, yeah. how long had you thought about it? Was you uh, planned it for a while or? Uh, not a great deal. We kind of we'd kind of discussed it, or Marcus and I had discussed it, and thought it would be something we'd like to do. And because of the nature of the catering industry, I suppose I'd kind of I I handed my notice in and told Tim Hart that I was leaving I was leaving Hearts because I needed to leave Hart, but I didn't have any pl I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no other plans than that. But just because of the nature of hospitality, when I was working, I just didn't have time to go out and plan a business or to look at sites. So basically I said, the only way I'm gonna do this is if I leave, because then I will have to find something. I'll be forced into finding something to buy and I'll have the time to do it. So um, I think I spent th we spent three or four months looking and preparing a business plan. And um, again, Tim Hart was very helpful. He introduced us to his accountants, and they introduced us to a to a bank. Um, so we, uh, we wrote a business plan, um, looked around various pubs. We looked at um, a couple of pubs and other pubs in Rutland that now no 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 longer pubs anymore. Um, one in there's one in North one, one in North Luffenham, a couple of others, and then we came to Clipsham. Um, we spoke to Sean, 
who was who we knew from Hambleton Hall, who was a chef at Hambleton Hall, and he used to, his mum lived in the village, and he first job here was pot washing. <laughs> so we went to him because we knew him and said, look, we're looking at this pub in Clipsham, we might buy it, but we're not sure about it. Do you think it, you know it? Will it be a good pub? Will it be busy? And he said, yeah, I used to work there and it'd be incredible. And he said, and if you do buy it, then I'll join you. So that was the, and sure, Marcus, Marcus was a wine expert. I was more front of house and we didn't have a chef. And just by chance, John said, if you, if you buy it, I'll come and I'll be the chef. So that was it, sorted. We had a, you know, a wine expert, wine and beer expert, front of house expert and a chef. Wow. Um, so yeah, so it all fell into place, and we found yeah we found the olive branch um, and bought it in November '99. So when you set out on this journey, did you intend to make food the the, the USP yes. for the yes for the business? Yeah, very much so. Um, well, I suppose I suppose the US what we wanted to do we 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 had found it difficult going out to places that we wanted to go to, that serving the type of food and wine and quality that we wanted to eat without having to book or go to a restaurant and without having to put a, you know, a tie on or dress up more formally. We, we felt we wanted to go somewhere and have really good food and really nice wine and good beer, but was relaxed and informal. And you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to dress for, and, you, and more importantly, you didn't have to book six weeks ahead, or you didn't have to book full stop. So we thought the idea of kind of putting all those ingredients into a pub, into a place where you can just walk into, you can have a pint of beer, you can ask to look at the menu, and if you fancy the food that's on the menu, you can you can stay and eat. So that was the whole philosophy behind it. Um, we kind of said the whole point of the olive branch was that was that there was there were no rules. You could come and you could eat. Um, fish and chips and have a bottle of Chassant, you know, 50 pound bottle <laughs> of Chassant Monster if you wanted to. Or you could have a fillet steak and you could have a pint of beer if you yeah. wanted to. And you could, you could come in the summer and wear shorts and a t-shirt and sit in, sit wherever you want. There was no kind of, you know, we only serve restaurant food in this area and we only serve bar food here. It was, it was, you know, sit wherever you want, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want and just relax and, um, Everybody seemed to appreciate that. Well, looking around us now, <coughs> I would say it's pretty full. Yeah, we're f for our Friday <coughs> lunchtime, we're full today. You've got 45 guests in for lunch today. So, um, and yeah, we're doing very, very well. We're doing very well. Fridays are very popular. And we're also doing this lunch for even less promotion at the moment, which is working very well for us. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And I would say that people are pretty much dressed as you described yeah. as well. Yeah. They look really comfortable and don't... You, you, ha you have an atmosphere that's really nice. Good. Yeah, thank you. That when you walk in, you think, oh, yeah, I can come in here and relax. Yeah. Um, well, that was that, exactly that. That was yeah. the whole point at the beginning, so that it was... The, you, you still now, but sort of 25 years ago, you, you had... You know, if you went out, there was this kind of, like, you know, you had to dress up all this formality to it. it you know, the, there, was, there weren't really restaurants. There were pubs. Yeah. Of course there were pubs, but and the, some of the pubs still said very very good food but it was still a little bit the time of the you know chicken in the basket chicken kiev a little bit the time of that sort of thing or pies mm -hmm. and we just wanted somewhere where yeah exactly that where you could walk into and you could relax and you felt that you didn't have to be conscious of what you were doing or what you're sure. wearing or how you're behaving or um yeah so that was the whole idea from so i'm glad it still does that now today so how, that's how do you feel about people coming in just for a pint and not eating? yeah very yeah very happy with that i mean it's changed a little bit since um, since when we first opened, but certainly when we first opened, we were very much a, a village pub. 
Of course, in those days as well, there was no smoking ban, so people used to go to the pub for a pint of beer and a cigarette. <laughs> so that was so the smoking ban changed it quite a bit, and obviously now um, and uh, now there's um, you know it's become more people don't go out as much. The pro obviously, the prices have increased, and we are more foodie led. Um, but yeah, we're still very much a village pub, and the kind of that that kind of pub drinking culture has changed a little bit. Um, there's not so much locals anymore. Clipton's a smaller village, um, so we don't have so many people. But we still have a really, really good following from the village. We have a, a Thursday night club. There's half a dozen of them who come in every Thursday night and um, oh, drink beer, which is really nice. And then that's the that's the gents from the village, and the ladies have just started doing it. They come in, they come in every once a month on a Wednesday and there's about 10 or 12 of them and they frequent us on Friday nights and a lot, a lot of them still come out for lunch and dinner so we see most of the village but yeah it's still we are we would love to, we yes we, the answer is we serve pints of beer we love it when people just come along and have a pint of beer we're more than welcome to well, we were talking that. about this on the way in when you're tucked away as you are yeah Clipton's not the sort of place that you just happen to drive no exactly very often. No. it's not on the way to anywhere so a pub like this has to be a destination yeah, pub yeah, yeah. rather than somewhere that people just happen to stumble across. Yeah. And I, and I guess you've obviously you've got the, the Michelin star and yeah. uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty famous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave us a comment in your preferred app. If you have suggestions for Rutland pubs or local guests that you would like to see featured, please get in touch. Can you tell me, because I know nothing about it, I'm not a foodie. How do you go about obtaining a Michelin star? What does it, what does it involve? So um, it involves nothing at all, apart from just waiting for it to happen. So there's no, there's no with regard to the Michelin. So we had a, we did ha we had a Michelin star for ten or twelve years. We don't have we were still in the guide. We don't have the star anymore, but we're still very much in the guide. Um, but yeah, you with regard to Michelin, you do nothing at all. We didn't. When, so when we first were awarded a star. We were only the second pub in the country to have ever got a star. Wow. Um, the first uh, star was awarded to a pub the year before us, and we had no clue whatsoever. Um, a friend of ours, a friend of Sean's, rang us up and said, "Congratulations! I can't believe it. You know, you've done incredibly well." And Sean said, well, what, "What do you mean?" And he said, "You've won a Michelin star." And Sean was <laughs> like, oh, I did, "We didn't even know they'd been. We didn't even know we were in the wow. we were in the guidebook." Um, so it was a complete shock because norm because before that they didn't you know rest they didn't go to pubs Michelin didn't you know it was very much for restaurants for fine dining, and I think they decided to a certain extent from a marketing point of view they decided it was probably a good idea to get into pubs to maybe that was the way the um, trends were going to maybe to sell them sell a few more books, um, so yeah it was a complete shock but uh, we had a we had a quick visit about a week after an inspector came along just to tell us to kind of say you know. Don't worry. Um, just do what you're doing. Um, what you do is incredibly, you know, is really, really good. And basically, the star represents the fact that you are a starred pub. So we, they, we're not comparing you to fine dining restaurants. To so, for example, Hambleton Hall's got a Michelin star, but we're not anything like Hambleton Hall. Yeah. So we're a Michelin starred pub. So they say we're a, we're a, like you were just mentioning. The Michelin Guide says we are, we are worth a detour, which is the, what the one star means, <laughs> that we're worth a detour. Right. So, so, so would Hamilton Hall go through the same process? They, yes. they just 
they'll either get one or they won't. There's yeah. nothing they can do. You don't apply for it no. or there's no standard to reach. It's no. the, these people just drive around the country, go to yeah. places and decide that they're going to award you one or not. Yeah, and you won't even know that more often than not, you won't even know that they've been, or they try to do it, that you don't even know that they've been. I have no idea. Um, they, used to, they used to give you a... They used to sometimes... Um, give you their card and you would say to them have you enjoyed everything and they just say thank you very much they wouldn't even say yes i've enjoyed or anything and um before um internet etc then they would ask then they would just say we just want to can we just check our form and clarify that these are still your opening hours um you know this is still the correct address uh, but that was about as much as you got out of them but n nowadays that's all done they send you an email which just asks you to update your details and that's it so um, we don't know whether we've had an inspection for the last two or three years. Wow. Occasionally you see a picture in t on Twitter, um, so you know that they've been, because they'll mention you and say, and, and put a picture of a dish. But even to the extent that they will, they will crop the picture so much that you can't work out where they were sitting. So you know you can't you can't have a look at the the grain of furniture the grain of the table to work out which table they were at to try and see when they came. So you can't you know to work out who they were. So no, we don't even know for three or four years whether we've had an inspection or not. Do you know they what? say they come I, every year. I could do that job. I'd like I to know, do that. What, what a great job that would be. <laughs> yeah. But we expect the AA inspectors come and see it. They're much more. They will say afterwards, and they they have st they have standards that you have to achieve, which is nice because they tell you what you need to do. Um, but the and they but the AA inspectors say it's a tough job. So, but you know, I suppose you don't. I suppose you know, like everything, you have places that you. You, you have preferences, whether they're good or bad, hasn't got anything to do with it. But you certainly, you certainly, we all have different preferences yeah. of what we like. So I'd imagine when you're visiting, and also they say that it's difficult because we, we'll often know that they're, some the inspectors, they will come at 12 o'clock because they've then got another, t they've then got another meal to eat at uh, 6 o'clock in the evening. Right, and then yeah. they've got to get up early and travel and drive. I know four hours to the other side of the country, so they claim it's a tough job. <laughs> yeah, <not> for sure. <laughs> uh, do you think it's a reflection on the countries that the AA are really upfront and they they tell you exactly what they're going to do yeah. and do it? Oh, the, the, the French, the French are complete <laughs> mystery. <laughs> exactly. You have no idea what's going on. I'd imagine so. Yeah, it sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. One thing that's interesting because we picked this up on a couple of, I think we've been to four pubs and spoken to the landlords or owners. Yeah. And most of them have been relatively new. They, they've come into the industry from outside yeah. and made a success of it, often with pubs that were out of use and have been put back into use. So you, you keep hearing that the pub industry is dying every time you pick up a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 10,000 yeah. pubs closed last month or whatever. Yeah. And, and yet, around here, everybody we meet has come into it from a, a standing start and... Mm and made something that wasn't there before. And I, uh, I, I don't know whether it's unique to the area or... Yeah, we're, I think we are, we're quite, we are quite lucky around here. It's quite an affluent area, so that, that helps. But there are, certainly, there are certainly, you know, pubs that are unfortunately closing down. You see the, the Black Horse um, at Empingham, which is, seems to be always open and closed. So, you know, there's, there's still, the industry is still definitely having a tough time. I think the, the ones who are successful are... Yeah, incredibly passionate, work incredibly, work incredibly hard. I think the you know the younger ones who are, or maybe the, all the people who are doing it for the first time and putting their whole heart and soul into it, and are committed to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it is it is um, 
It is difficult, definitely sure. difficult at the moment. Because we're finding it tough. Presumably, it's having the right team. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So you yeah. you came in with a core of three yeah. people. Yeah. And then you grew from then. Yeah. Um, and now we have thirty-six staff. Wow. Wow. So. Or I bought 36 Christmas presents, so I'm presuming they were all... <laughs> oh, they all work here, I think they are. But, I, yeah. I guess you must have a very... Um, I guess you're very careful about recruiting for, this, for the Olive Branch. Yeah, there's, yes, but yes, but, the, it is, but it is also incredibly difficult at the moment. But, yeah, it is, it is about having the right culture and the right people, but there's also an element of having the right... You know, when you have the right team, often you'll bring people into the team and I suppose it's like any business they either you know they either fit into the team and it works or they decide or they maybe decide it's not for them but yeah there's certain we've been we've been recruiting for a long time so certainly from a front of house point of view I suppose we know the kind of characteristics of, of individuals that 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 work for us and enjoy being with enjoy being with us and from a kitchen point of view there's certainly a skill there's certainly a skill set that we need and the same sort of thing there's a certain background I suppose of skills that that helps uh, with what we do, with what we do, but there's an, but there's an increasing element of that not being available. So we really do have to train our staff, um, give them time, um, show them things, spend more time than we do because the skills the skill set isn't isn't around anymore. But the but the I suppose the passion and the individuals are. So it's just a different way of doing it. Sure. Well, yeah. So let's talk about food. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on? on buying local oh, well, uh, what are my thoughts I would love to do buy more locally buy more locally and um, we buy as much as we can but it is um, difficult when you're running a busy operation when you're serving a hundred people a day and therefore you need um, quality well you need quality you can get locally but you need consistency and, and quantity um, so we'll have a kind of core of um, dishes that we don't some of them we buy locally for, for um, but there'll be other dishes which are more which are more specials so which means that we can buy locally but we will only get um, for example from Stretton we get we get hoggett um, but they will only they can only provide us with two or three hoggets a year and those those they come all at the same time so all of a sudden you've got three hoggets that we need to butcher and prepare and and utilize on the menu within a certain period of time but then again you then have to wait until the next season when they when you get three more sure. um what is get, a hogget so a hogget so a hogget is a is a is a sheep so it's lamb then it's hogget so it's a teenage it's a teenage sheep a hogget so first of all it's lamb up to the age of uh one then then after the second year on grass, it becomes hogget, and then after the third year on grass, it becomes mutton. So it's between a lamb and a and a mutton. Sure. So it's more full flavoured, maybe a little bit little bit fattier, and it's been on grass for longer. So it's yeah, it's a richer flavour. Because that that's the second time I've heard the word hogget. Yeah. The first time being recently, I've just watched the BBC drama called Boiling Point. Oh right, and okay. that was one of the dishes that they served. Oh yeah, and oh, really? I had no idea what <laughs> yeah, it was then, so now I know. That's what it is. We're going to hear it again. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing. So we what, um, what lamb, about, lamb we get from sorry, lawns. We get lamb from lawns, so that's oh, nice. a, so they were able to get it. So, 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 so there's certain products that we can get consistency and quality of locally, and there's but there's certain products that are very much um, and yes, obviously beers we can get lots of local gins. Um, 
a few local wa wine vineyards started to crop mm. up, so maybe soon some what local wine. Um, and then obviously through the se through the season, it's, uh, but it's more um, game at the moment. So venison at the moment. That's what I was going to mention. Is about seasonal yeah. food. Do you try and do as much as that as you can? Yeah, Keep very much ready. so. Yeah, right. yeah. And it's also about. I mean, it's also about. It's kind of about sustainability, isn't it? And it's about. Although we do have it, we do occasionally have it on the menu. I find it really, really difficult when we are getting, um, I know, broccoli in and I look on the label and it's come from Kenya. And I just think, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, if it's coming from Kenya at the moment, we shouldn't be using it. But there's certain times of the year when you can't get everything local and you therefore need to buy from further afield. But, um, and we, and we still have to be competitive on price. So, you know, it, um, local's not. Local's not cheaper because it's smaller, and you have to support you have to support the producers, and they're producing smaller amounts, and they've got big overheads. Right. And these massive, great big farmers, the farms in Kenya, can produce it a lot cheaper, even by flying it over. It's just so there's an element of that balance of what you want to do of being buying local, being sustainable, but also being a business. So it's a it's a tough balance to find. How do you think it would be received if you were to say to people, "I'm sorry, but we don't have broccoli at this time of the year because." We have to import it, yeah. So you, so it's not on the menu. Would you, if your menu became more limited because you actually followed what you could get locally, do you think that would the business would suffer, or do you think people would? Um, I think appreciate it's, it's no. I think it's a direction that we're going in, but it's also a, it's a. I suppose it's a cost thing as well. I think that's we're certainly going in that direction. We're certainly trying to go in that direction, and there's certainly um, you know the big thing is a mo the big thing at the moment is with regard to fish. You know, the difference between farm fish and sustainably caught fish and the price the price is absolutely astronomically different did you see the netflix series no you i didn't ever, no i haven't watched i haven't watched it because a friend a friend of mine watched it and he stopped eating fish and <laughs> yeah. i just you know having so i haven't watched it exactly it's that, enough to yeah. make you stop eating fish yeah. that isn't wild caught. yes exactly yeah, yeah exactly. definitely and that's the really that's the really difficult thing you know that getting that right balance between yes if we bought wild fish you know we would it would just cost an absolute fortune and for us then to try and pass that cost on you know i don't know maybe people wouldn't but it's certainly a direction that we're trying to we're trying to go in but it's tricky yeah. it's tricky we've still got a business to run we've still got yeah 30 35 staff to employ we've still got wages to pay we've still got overheads to cover and um, we have to get that balance of the right number of people against the cost the, the prices that we're charging i guess you must have some really serious conversations when you're planning we do yeah we do yeah very much so yeah yeah big conversations and the price fluctuations and but the kitchen team do a brilliant job you know they're buying every single they're on the they are phoning five or six suppliers every single evening um often two often maybe two or three different fish suppliers to get the best possible price um two or three butchers to different veg suppliers and every evening they're on the phone placing orders and getting prices just right. to get the right the right product the right product and at the right price do you promote the um, sustainability aspect of your menus and your choices no not no not not particularly not at the moment um, again it's something we're we may well move towards um, we've always been I suppose we look we're always looking at different things but we've always been the type of a establishment who's who've tried to um, uh, um, how do you put it? We try. We, we try not to talk too much about ourselves. We would just want people to come in and enjoy it, and we want them to trust that we are doing the right thing. We don't want to have to say. 
we do this, we do this, we do, you know, our fish is from here, our this is from here. We just expect them to, to trust what we do and that we do the best and that's just should be the expectation. So I suppose what we try to do is, yeah, under offer and over and overachieve is that the right I'm not sure what the phrase yeah. is but it's that sort of thing under Man manage and over yeah manage expectations that's yeah. what we try to do um, and you know for a yeah it, it's all about you know when you come here you have fish and chips we have fish and chips on the menu but we don't necessarily say it's lime caught fish beer battered fish and chips with garden peas etc etc <laughs> we just say it's olive branch fish and chips and the expectation is that olive branch fish and chips should be the best quality fish and chips because that's what we do so we kind of that's the way we prefer to do things just a bit more low-key i suppose okay have you considered um growing your own food we do we have a paddock yeah so we do grow our own wow. food um, you pointed uh, towards oh the yeah, door. I did, yeah, sorry. I'm not not, not, not <coughs> pointing on a podcast no, isn't great. Isn't no, it? no, but <laughs> I point so it's through so the window. So it's, so across it's the road. Yeah, it's across the road, yeah. yeah. So, we've got, so we've got the olive branch on one side of the road. On the other side of the road, we've got Beach House, where we've got six bedrooms, um, accommodation. And next to Beach House is a paddock on the corner. And, um, yeah, we've kindly been leased the paddock from one of the villages. And we've got a polytunnel there. Um, we used to have chickens. And then the foxes kept getting the chickens, so we don't have chickens anymore. Um, but yeah, we grow our own. Um, obviously, throughout, obviously through the summer, lots of tomatoes, courgettes, cucumbers, lettuces in the polytunnel, herbs. Um, not a lot coming out of the polytunnel at the mo out of the out of there at the moment. Um, but yeah, courgette flowers, and then we're just we're just now starting again our replanting season. So we've got gardener Ross who works over there three days a week. And we're trying to do more and more, wow. but again, it's it's um, it's a big investment mm. in in labour primarily. You know, it's all very well growing, buying buying a packet of seeds, but the labour to look after that and to tend that it's yeah. a it's a full time it's a big full time job. What yeah. about um, foragers? Do you have uh, local foragers popping in with um, ba baskets of mushrooms and things like that? Yeah, little little bit. Not so much as not so much as we used to. Um, we when it first started, we had a few more. But villages will come in with with um, with slows. Mm -hmm. um, we've even we've even had people finding truffle locally. We've, we even had a chap came in and said. I've been told this is a truffle, but I don't really don't know what it, it, what, whether it is or not. So we've had, yeah, we've had local truffles. Found. I don't even know if you get them yeah, in Rutland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to get a dog. This was near Stamford. Yeah, you need to get a job. A dog. Yeah. <laughs> you have to spend a lot of money training the dog. <laughs> yeah. That's the, a lot of time training the, the dog. Um, so yeah, um, but more, not so much foraging. Um, and, and when we get the time, we'll forage ourselves a little bit. Wild, wild garlic, um, mushrooms occasionally. Um, but again, uh, yeah, local pheasant. But the rules, the rules and regulations, understandably, have changed on that. Whereas we used to be able to buy directly from the shoot. Now they have to go through a game dealer, and it has to go through a, um, a qualified butcher to make to check the meat before it comes to us. So there's lots more um, loopholes, I suppose, understandably, that we have to go through. And um, so yeah, little little bits and pieces we'll get. Um, Berry, hedgerow berries, all that sort of stuff. We we'll mm -hmm. do a little bit of, but um, yeah, it's finding that it's finding that the kitchen boys would love to do it, but you know, it's finding the time yeah. for them to do it. Last year was a bumper crop of um, oh, was it blackberries? Oh yeah, blackberries were good. Yeah, yeah, I have them growing on the hedge outside uh, outside of my house. Yeah, and we picked a lot. Yeah, it's very really good. Really good. Yeah. So, so what about your own taste in food? What's your what's your number one meal? Oh, oh my. <laughs> 
my number one video is very, 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 I love, I know it's very strange, but I love it like a good Greek tomatoes, mm. bacon, feta cheese. Mm. Just very, <laughs> and a lager, I don't know why. And that sounds good. And a lager, just, I like, Simple, I like good, good quality. Yeah, ingredients. I just love fresh ingredients. You know, I love a really good home grow, a really good tomato, and just yeah. nicely, I love cheese, nicely made cheese. Um, you know, just, yeah, proper smoked bacon. I just love really good quality ingredients. I don't need for it to be done, for it to be, you know, cooked incredibly well. I just like the simplicity of the yeah. ingredients. But then obviously, you know, but yeah, it kind of go. I'm not goes against what we do here at the, at the Olive Branch, but certainly, you know, there is a requirement nowadays of customers to be, to see new skills in the food, you know, master chef and those sorts of things. People are people's expectations of that, and the flavors that can, and the flavors that can be created by you know great chefs using. But yes, simplicity for me, um, I really enjoy. Which the kitchen, which um, yeah, Ben Ben the head chef gets a little bit frustrated because he knows I have simple flavour preferences you're but talking I love, my language but I, lo know, but I love complicated but then you know he creates the most amazing venison dish with a chop with a chocolate sauce and with beetroot and yeah. you know so I, I just love I just love food I just love food but I yeah. do love the simplicity of just great great ingredients I just think it's incredible yeah. quite yeah. often you see them chefs sitting down after the, after their day, and they've got a great big bacon sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We're, we're, we're all the same. We go back to that kind of comfort food, don't we? Or the, you know, yeah. Or they're all, you know, they finish work at ten o'clock and they're off to Zorba's or whatever it's called, Stamford, <laughs> and get to get the kebab. But it's kind of like, you know. But there is the element of what you work with. You don't always yeah. want to do. But no, I just, you know, I. But yeah, as I say, I love I love a good kebab. I love just all f food and drink. I just really enjoy. Yeah, me too. She's quite fortunate, really. Yeah. So, what about plans for the future? Have you got anything exciting on the horizon? Um, no, not really. Not at the moment. We keep. I keep toying with the idea of doing other things. It'd be amazing. I would love to to have a to have something to have something in Stamford. I'd love to have a you know a business, a restaurant, a, a tapas bar, a, um, you know, a small brasserie or something in Stamford. I think that that would work really well. It'd be brilliant. Mm. Um, but it's just um, it's finding the time it's finding the time to do things and I suppose um, the older I get the more um, risk averse I get I suppose <laughs> yeah. a little bit that's, that's the trouble um, so yeah. I keep thinking I'll rely upon the, my y young chefs or young front of house staff to maybe have want to do something and I'll, I'll help them do it maybe so it'd be lovely to do something else but then um, you know I love the olive branch I'm committed to the olive branch I love looking after the customers here, so it's just it's, it's finding the time to be able to do that and to, and to do it and to do it properly because I don't want to do anything that isn't going to be you know 100% sure done really really well. How how do you uh, attract your clientele? Is it word of mouth or regulars coming back all of the time? Because I say it's not somewhere you'd stumble across. No, it's for, well, it's um, certainly very much word word of mouth is the, is the biggest one by far by by far that's the biggest recommendation. But over the years, I mean, we've done incredibly well, as you mentioned earlier, with the awards we've won. So that's, that brings us a great deal of publicity, which helps. Um, we've had amazing reviews in, in national papers. Um, 
So, you know, we've been in all, the, over the years, we've been in all the national papers, so we've done incredibly well from that, so that really, really helps. Have you ever had Giles Corran? We have had Giles Corran. Have. Yeah, we have I had love Giles, Giles Corran. Yeah, yeah, we have had Giles Corran. <laughs> Interestingly or not, I don't know whether they know it or not, but he was, we, we're now only open five days a week, so we close on a Monday and a Tuesday, but we used to be open seven days a week. And he came to Rutland, and he wrote one of his typical Giles Corran articles, he was considering whether to buy um, a big house in the, in, in the Cotswolds, but he then heard of this little county called Rutland. And when he got here, he said he could probably buy the whole of Rutland for the price that he was paying for his house <laughs> in the Cotswolds. But he ended up buying a house in the Cotswolds anyway. He didn't come to Rutland. But he was, apparently he was going to go for... He'd been recommended to go for lunch at the uh, King's Arms in Wing, but he got there and it was closed. So he came here instead. So we did very, so we did very well. He was very, yeah, he was very good. He was very good to us. Which isn't always. Oh, he's, got, he's got better recently. He seems to be enjoying a lot more places recently than he used to. But yeah, he was very good to us. He did make a comment about that our our food was very 1980s or something. But you know, but, you know, he eats <laughs> London food. What, he comes out of the countryside. I'm not sure. I think 80s was a bit of a was a bit of a stretch. But yeah, we've had we've had Giles Corran and um, guy from the Financial Times and lots of. Um, in fact, some customers who are here today, very kindly bought. Had, their friend was the food reviewer from the Financial Times and they brought him with them. So it's lovely. So those sorts of little stories like that of customers that are so supportive and joyous and some of the first um, reviews we had for our bedrooms were done from uh, uh, villagers sending letters to, um, to national newspapers saying you must come and discover our little, you know, our little pub that's just open around the corner. So, so it's really... So, yeah, so that's... I suppose that we know when we've had an article with a phone starts but then we're very much into the usual social media um, we have a big mailing list so we send out e emails e-shots quite often telling people of the events we do um, brochures flyers so yeah there's a hell of a lot involved in the in the marketing of the olive branch as well really as a yeah there's a lot of that 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 happens that we really really um, work very hard on to get the right marketing um, how did the name come about was it the name of the place before you took it over or so the olive you... branch has yes it's, so it's been the olive branch since we think about 1890 so it's always been called the well, ever since it's been an ale house it's been called the olive branch um and the story is that um yeah that the 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 inn used to be further into the village and the lord and it used to be nearer to the to the um to the manor house and the lord of the village was getting upset because he could hear all the locals coming out of the pub or out of the alehouse at 11 or 12 o'clock at night drunk waking him up keeping and disturbing him so he closed the alehouse so there was no alehouse in the village um so all the villagers were deeply upset so he decided to reopen the alehouse in these three farms so the olive branches three farm laborers cottages so he decided to turn one of the farm laborers cottages into an alehouse and he offered it back to the village as a peace offering Oh. So it's called the olive branch, oh. and the sign is actually a dove with an olive branch in its mouth, and that's the that's the and it's always been called the olive branch since since then, since 1890 or prior to 1890. Um, yeah. So yeah, lovely story. So no no Mediterranean. Interestingly, I think for a while on TripAdvisor we were we were listed as a Greek restaurant because we were called <laughs> the olive branch. Everyone just presumed we must be Greek or something. I like think that's that. our best pub origin story so far. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one, isn't it? yeah. But it's lovely, so it has a biblical reference. So it's nothing to do with Mediterranean food or anything like that. So yeah, it's a lovely, lovely little story.
So that's us. still the olive branch, still a peace offering to the village. We still have to make peace to the village every now and then, <laughs> so it's <still> appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's us. Oh dear. So that was um, fantastic. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you. Good. Um, thank you very much for your time, Ben. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate thank you for it. Coming. Yeah, it's been good. No, it's been nice chatting. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed listening to Ben Jones. We can confirm that the food and drinks at the Olive Branch are excellent and would recommend a visit. The next episode is another not to be missed. Our local MP, Alicia Cairns, gives honest answers to a variety of questions and topics. When rain stops play, it's time for some pub natter. So, that's a wrap. And thank you for listening to our latest pub natter. If you visit timothyives.com forward slash pub natter, you will find photos, links, and more information about each episode. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and please subscribe to ensure you don't miss a pub or one of our amazing guests. The pub natter theme tune is by Tom Arnold. That was a pub natter broadcast. Thank you.